Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Welcome to Celine's Salon. Step right in where you belong. Share a poem or sing a song. It's open house, so why not come along? Hello, welcome to Celine's Salon on Soho Radio. While Soho is coming alive, the sun is shining, lots of things are coming back to life. Hooray! And we have a wonderful show today with lots of lovely, lovely surprises. We have Douglas Graham Wilson. Hi, Douglas, how are you doing? Hey, Celine, I'm good, thanks, honey. How are you? I'm very well, and we're really looking forward to hearing some of your lovely poetry further on in our show. Thank you so much. Looking forward to sharing it with you. And all the way in Phuket, Thailand, we have lovely dear friend, an amazing author of The Teacher Plant, Mo Blackford. Hey Mo, how are you doing? Hey Celine, I'm great. Great to hear from you. Nice to catch up. <laughs> and we're miles away. I really look forward to having a proper chat with you later in the show. Me too, Celine. And we've got Jenny Bellstar. Hey, Jenny, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Lovely to have you on the show. Lovely to be here. Celine Salon. Best radio show in Soho. You are listening to Celine's Salon on Soho Radio. My name is Rachel Darcy and this is my brand new single, Love is Life. Love falls in and love falls out Love lifts up and love lets go Love lights, love fights Love leaps from great heights Celine Salon, live at Soho Radio Each month we have a salon regular and I am delighted to welcome to July's Celine Salon Douglas Graham Wilson. Hello, Celine. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to share some of my work with you. And uh, it's been so amazing to be part of, uh, of the Salon, which is such a beautiful creative collective. And uh, yeah, and I'm thrilled to, to share some of my work with you. I'm going to hand it all over to you, Douglas. Without Thank further you. ado. Thank you so very much. Um, just as a quick uh, introduction uh, to the work I'm going to be sharing with you and, and to my inspirations, um, I'm mainly drawn to timeless universal themes like love and existentialism and spirituality. And um, yeah, I'm just going to share three poems with you today. 
and uh, I hope that you enjoy listening. The first of which is titled um, A Nightmare in Paris, and here we go. You were so moody and recalcitrant in Paris, preoccupied with yourself and your hip flask. I asked you for a kiss as we walked along the Seine, but all you gave me was a melodramatic scowl. Upon hearing a violinist playing La Vie en Rose on Pont des Arts, I paused to relish the moment with you, gesturing to hold your hand, but you refused, striding away from the busker and me. Catching up with you, I tried to lift your mood by being silly. Bonjour, mon amour! To which you snapped, I detest seeing you so sickeningly sentimental. You're acting like a tourist. But weren't we? I certainly was anyway. Besides, what shame is there in being a tourist? Plus, it was your first time there too. So what did that make you? And then the next day, on the morning of your birthday, when you berated me for making a scene at breakfast, expressing extreme displeasure at feeling put on the spot by the birthday cake, candles and singing that I'd arranged with the waiters as a surprise. You argued with me after lunch when we got lost in a labyrinth of pretty cobbled side streets, an unexpected adventure that could have been so exciting. But no, you saw it as an inconvenience, a total waste of time, even accusing me of bad navigation at one point. Well, screw you for being so miserable with life. In hindsight, you should have gone to Paris alone and jumped off Pont des Arts with your hip flask on your birthday. Perhaps then, passers-by would have assumed that it was in fact a miserable Parisian and not a reluctant tourist with intimacy issues who had woefully flung himself into the same. Thank you. <laughs> Right, so the next one I'm going to share with you is um, a more reflective, pensive poem titled Homesick in Brighton. Today I found myself lost, sitting upon an expanse of plush green lawn, encircled by ornate arms of grand Victorian architecture. In the distance, beyond the trees, the seascape, all turbulent and indigo, crashing its way toward a smudged, far-off horizon. Above me, imposing clouds hovering, swirling and transforming in the cool wind, denizens of the sky that symbolize the impermanence of things. And I thought of the mountains where I am from, of the sun and all that is familiar, feeling a deep unease and sense of alienation rising inside of me. Sitting alone in this foreign garden, memories descended with the drizzle, scattering within me like broken strings of pearls across marble hallways. But now it was twilight. Time to regather myself and find my way home, I thought. An ironic musing that suddenly made me smile 
as I stood up to go. Uh, the next poem I'm going to share with you is titled My Lonely Collarbone, and um, here we go. My lonely collarbone smiles at me, then drops down so pensively, sensual and elegant, masculine yet fine, a bone in my body whose character is sublime. And when I stroke his velvety skin and caress him with my fingers, he's so shy and so thin, an erotic bone that feels so alone, a special part of me, concentrated sensuality. I can sense that he longs for the same things I do, a lover and a love that will follow through. And finally, I thought I'd just end with something light and pretty, seeing as though we've all been through the mill lately. This is titled Speak Flowers. I'd like you to speak flowers to me, soft pink petals falling like fragrance from your lips. Lost in a heady bouquet, let's dance into the blooming of love. Let's shower the world with an unfurling of floral kaleidoscopic colour, pollinating our minds with beauty and delicate transcendence. Thank you. Those were the lovely, beautiful, poetic words of Douglas Graham Wilson. I'll tell you what you want. I better Celine Salon here on Soho Radio. I'm very excited and extremely happy to introduce Mo Blackford. Hi, Mo. How are you doing? Hi, Celine. I'm great. Great to hear from you. Great to catch up. And all the way in Phuket, you lucky thing. Sometimes. Depends if it's rainy season <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. But I'm quite envious of the beaches. Oh, you know, they've been locked down for three months. They've only just reopened. Oh, wow. You know what it's like to stand in front of the most beautiful tropical beach in the world and it's got red and white tape across it and the police are there telling you not to go on it? It's crazy. Yeah, get your head around that one. That's a, that's wow. a, that's a bit of a bummer, bummer. But yeah, but the beautiful and getting back on the beaches after they opened, such a yeah. fantastic experience. When, when, you know, once the red tape had gone, I could actually walk onto a beach and get in the ocean. It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was emotional. Now, we've been friends for 30 years. It's 29 <laughs> years, 10 months, oh. and three days, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find. No, it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Is it really that long? Yes. And you are family as well, really. <laughs> we are. But, um, we, we are related through blood, yes. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> We're both lizards. We're both lizards, aren't we? From the <laughs> from the, the Habsburg royal family. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I was always 
intrigued by you as a teenager by your amazing uh musical abilities you know fantastic guitarist you've worked with lots of people you were in a fantastic band called nasa and i just like can we talk a little bit about that sure sure it's a long time since i've thought about that mm -hmm. that's about the time yes. around the time we met wasn't it exactly late 80s and people like Les Warner from the Colts being yeah. around at the flats. That's right, yeah, West, the West Hampstead scene. <laughs> yes. And you're sort of, you know, your your musical background goes a lot further back. Well, I, I, I went to school in Germany and uh, I was in school bands and then came over to England with a band and uh, played in, in sort of local bands in Hastings before joining a punk band with, with Becky Bondage beginning of the 80s and touring with her and then a couple of other London bands after that one the juggler and uh, recording with other artists around that time before putting my own project together which was NASA and that that, that was mm -hmm. sort of four years of my life that was amalgamating um, Middle Eastern music with rock music and uh, oriental sounds with with kind of rock rock noise yeah that was that was wow, yeah, it was a really unusual sound that you created. Yes, thanks. Yeah. And some of the videos were beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was a, it was an obsession, but um yeah. Yeah. Maybe um these days that that amalgamation of east and west wouldn't be quite as welcome as it was back then. Yes. With, with uh the odd tensions we have on the planet right now. Mhm. Mm but it was and all so about it was all about love. Yes. But um, let's move forwards. You've been travelling a lot over the years. You know, we've met up in places like New York. That's where right. you've come over and... Yeah, I saw you um, in New York. Yeah, and you've sort of travelled and been teaching and writing. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about that, the countries you've been in? and? Well, I left, um, I left the UK 20 years ago this year, unbelievably, and... Uh, I went to Brazil. I, I, I fell in love with Brazil. When I first went there, I, I, I kind of felt like I'd come home. There's something about it, especially Rio de Janeiro. When I first arrived in the city of Rio de Janeiro, I just felt like, oh, my God, this is – I feel more at home here than I do in London. It was a strange feeling, and uh, I, I'd always been attracted to it. So I, I, I lived in Brazil for five years, and, uh, and then other countries in South America, Colombia, Bolivia, Cuba – um, I lived in the United States for a year and a half in California, and uh, the last eight years I've been in Asia and uh, currently in, in Phuket. Um, I think uh, at the beginning, also my health, I felt better when I was in a warm climate, and I've always loved the sea, so to be near the sea, um, but always lived a, a kind of simple life. I've, I'm not, people might think, oh, that sounds idyllic. Um, it is, but you know, just living the same simple life as I would have back in the UK. But sometimes when you're when you're near the ocean and you have good weather and and healthy food, lots of fruit and uh, and smiling faces around you, that's all you really need to feel to feel rich. Yeah. And have you kept like journals, diaries of your travels? Um, I, I, no, it's the one thing I've constantly reprimanded myself for not doing. I never have done. I've always planned to and, and, and never have done. And, and I wish I had because my memory is atrocious. 
um, but uh, I, I should have done that. I absolutely should have done. So what I do when I do a piece of writing, I have to scrabble to 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 pull strands together, and I call people, and I and I Skype people to do interviews and record them. Can you remember yeah. what happened here on this day? And, and I and I kind of piece it together with the help of friends. Well, I've read your lovely book, and it really blew me away. Um, your style of writing is quite stunning. It's sort of you get transported and dive into the pages. You're there in the moment. And um, do you want to explain a little bit about the inspiration behind this book? Thank you, Celine. Thank you for your, your kind comments. Um, in in South America, there's there's a lot of magic. There's there's sort of magic everywhere in conversation. Um, people, even the most um, the most conservative people, talk about spirits being in the room at the same time, and, and it, it really it really struck a chord with me. I've always had a sort of an esoteric side to my nature, and um, when you're in South America, and and it's quite normal to have conversations along those lines, and you sense it everywhere. There, there are a lot of kind of syncretic religions and spiritual beliefs and. Uh, a lot of white magic and a lot of black magic going on, and it was it, it was really uh, uh, enthralled me. And it was uh, it can be very beautiful, and sometimes it can be scary as well. But when I left South America and I and I came to Asia, I'd be talking with some of my colleagues when, when I, I when I worked as a lecturer at a university, and I'd be telling them some of the stories, and, and they were saying that can't be real, you know. And I and I, what, what I'd taken as normal. Um, I was told by my by friends when I, once I'd left South America that that was absolutely um, far from normal. So I thought I'd better start writing it down because it might be of interest to people. So um, yeah, this book, The Teacher Plant, deals with um, what we call coincidence, which we, we sort of okay. think of uh, we think that things happen coincidentally, um, whereas there mm. might be a glitch in the in the time um, space time continuum causing it. And also my experiences with ayahuasca and how it yeah. informed um, my reality. Okay. Um, you're going to kindly read us a piece from your book. Sure, I'd be very happy to. Um, Over to you, Mo. Okay. So um, we're in a, an ayahuasca ceremony at this point in the book. The shaman's name was Angel Chindoy. He was from the Kansas Indians, who live in the Sibundoy Valley in the higher regions of the Putumayo, which is a region in the southwest of Colombia, bordering Peru and Ecuador. Angel was accompanied by two helpers, who would work together with him to create the desired environment for the ceremony and keep our souls safe. At around 10.30pm, a line started to form in front of one of the wooden structures, and we realised that the brew was about to be served. The two helpers, who I was told were possibly Angel's students, had already begun to prepare the atmosphere for the night ahead. One of them began to sahumar, to perfume the area with an aromatic smoke called sahumerio. Sahumerio is a mixture of plants and resins. The principal component is a vegetable resin called copal. It has a sweet and pleasant odour. This assistant's job was to keep the area energetically clean, to keep bad spirits away, and prevent participants from being attacked. 
while their souls were in a vulnerable state, wandering around outside the body as they were whilst inside the yahe, the yahe being another word for ayahuasca. He would also help calm participants during difficult moments or if they felt dizzy by blowing tobacco over their faces. Meanwhile, the other helper was starting to weave a celestial sonic environment using a type of harmonica, albeit with a more ethereal and entreating tone than the common Western variety, called an Eloina. During the course of the evening, one or both of them would also add a sonajero, a type of maraca to this Elysian soundscape. The final musical element was a chant which both, both assistants at certain times would participate in in order to help people reach a higher state, a higher inner state, or alternatively to help them come back from difficult inner journeys. During the entire experience, the shaman himself would constantly make rounds to ensure that each individual was kept spiritually safe. If you take into consideration that the three of them were working inside the ayahuasca, which is to say they had a certain degree of control over the situation that could operate independent of its whims, this hints at the enormous amount of training they'd put in, possibly many hundreds of journeys. So you can see that a lot of care went into making sure that this was a safe environment in which to make a sacred journey. When my turn came, I was handed a small earthenware cup containing the brew, and I quickly knocked back the thick, deep brown, mucilaginous, and slightly bubbly chocolate espresso without too much suffering, and went back to lay down on my sleeping bag to await something. The Eloina player seemed to move around the periphery of the site with ever greater swiftness, or was it the onset of the ayahuasca that made the instrument appear to echo from different directions, from four different directions at once? The Sahomerio smoke enveloped us as we lay, cloaking us in a thick, musky deliciousness. Before we drank the substance, the Eloina's otherworldly tone had already been hauntingly evocative and playful, much in the way that the flute at the outset of Debussy's La Pre-Midi Fon tugs at a sylvan place deep inside you. As the ayahuasca took effect, the music and incense-filled environment became increasingly chimerical. During these first 40 minutes, five sense reality very gently and very subtly slipped away. And almost without realizing it, I was already inside the ayahuasca and universes were hurtling towards me. It's pretty difficult to calculate exactly how long the converging universes stage of the night had lasted as within the ayahuasca, there is no time. But after perhaps two human hours, my journey took an unanticipated new direction. Suddenly, figures of people I knew, spectral yet benign figures, came floating towards me in rapid succession. I mean, lots of people, a vast quantity, but one at a time. In fact, I believe I was visited by everyone I had ever met in my entire life, from as far back as early childhood, each figure approached, hovering before me against a background that I can only describe as shimmering darkness, and I would proceed to ask him or her if I had hurt them in any way. If they answered in the affirmative, I would apologise, and I believe we hugged before that spirit vanished and the next approached. Alternatively, the visiting soul would ask me 
if he or she had hurt me, and I would also reply in the affirmative or negative. The glistening blackness seemed to represent pure love, the source of all possibility. This healing process must have taken place over quite a substantial period of human time, but again, time was of no importance or relevance. Wow. Mo, thank you so much. Thank you for asking me to read it. Are you thinking of having this book published? Um, that would be um, the goal, eventually. Um, knowing where to place it would be yes. a thing, I, you know. Um, well, we've had a discussion about this. Yeah. And I'm going to put my feelers out because I know quite a few people in the uh, publishing world. That would be great. It's just I, the publishing world is an, is an unknown world to me. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for coming onto our show. Celine, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I would love you to introduce your chosen, fav one of your favourite songs. Um, this is a song by the, the wonderful, magical Leonard Cohen. And uh, it surprised me as it appeared posthumously and surprisingly we didn't know there, were, there was any more material. He'd, he'd recorded a final album, and which was marvellous too. And then this, this song and this album appeared. And it has to be one of the times where the, the music and the video they've created to go with, with the music are in absolute harmony. It's, it's, a, it's a absolutely moving. It moved me to tears. Um, it, it's called Happens to the Heart. Hope you like it. I was always working steady But I never called it art I got my shit together Meeting Christ and reading Marx It failed my little fire But it spread the dying spark Go tell the young messiah Hello, good morning, good afternoon. It's Celine Salon. Today's chosen author is George Orwell. George Orwell was an English novelist. He was born in 1903 and died in 1950. Aside from being a novelist, he was an essayist and critic, most famous for his novels Animal Farm, which was published in 1945, and 1984 in 1949. He was a man of strong opinions who addressed some of the major political movements of his times, including imperialism, fascism and communism. Orwell was born Eric Arthur Blair in Montihari, India, on June the 25th, 1903, the son of a British civil servant. Orwell spent his days in India, where his father was stationed, his mother brought him and his older sister, Marjorie, to England about a year after his birth and settled in Henley-on-Thames. His father stayed behind in India and rarely visited. His younger sister, Avril, was born in 1908. Orwell didn't really know his father until he retired from the service in 1912, and even after that, the pair never formed a strong bond. He found his father to be dull and conservative. According to one biography, Orwell's first word was beastly. 
He was a sick child, often battling bronchitis and the flu. Orwell took up writing at an early age, reportedly composing his first poem around age four. He later wrote, I had the lonely child's habit of making up stories and holding conversations with imaginary persons. And I think from the very start, my literary ambitions were mixed up with the feeling of being isolated and undervalued. One of his first literary successes came at the age of 11, when he had a poem published in the local newspaper. After completing his schooling at Eton, Orwell found himself at a dead end. His family did not have the money to pay for a university education. Instead, he joined the India Imperial Police Force in 1922. After five years in Burma, Orwell re resigned his post and returned to England. He was intent on making it as a writer. After leaving the India Imperial Force, Orwell struggled to get his writing career off the ground and took all sorts of jobs to make ends meet, including being a dishwasher. Down and Out in Paris and London, which is definitely one of my favourite books of all time. That was published in 1933. Orwell's first major work explored his time, ecking out a living in these two cities. The book provided a brutal look at the lives of the working poor and of those living with transient existence. Not wishing to embarrass his family, the author published the book under the pseudonym George Orwell. Burmese Days, 1934. Orwell next explored his overseas experience in Burmese Days, which offered a dark look at British colonialism in Burma, then part of the country's India, then part of the country's Indian Empire. Orwell's interest in political matters grew rapidly after this novel was published. To support himself, Orwell took on various writing assignments. He wrote numerous essays and reviews over the years, developing a reputation for producing well-crafted literary criticism. In 1941, Orwell landed a job with the BBC as a producer. He developed news commentary and shows for audiences in the eastern part of the British Empire. Orwell drew such literary greats as T.S. Eliot and E.M. Foster to appear on his programmes. With World War II raging on, Orwell found himself acting as a pro propagandist to advance the country's national interest. He loathed this part of his job, describing the company's atmosphere in his diary as something halfway between a girls' school and a lunatic asylum, and all we are doing at present is useless or slightly worse than useless. Sometimes called the conscience of a generation, Orwell is best known for two novels, Animal Farm and 1984. Both books published towards the end of Orwell's life have been turned into films and enjoyed tremendous popularity over the years. Animal Farm was an anti-Soviet satire in a pastoral setting featuring two pigs as its main protagonists. These pigs were said to represent Joseph Stalin and Leon Trotsky. The novel brought Orwell great acclaim and financial rewards. 1984, Orwell's masterwork was published in the late stages of his battle with tuberculosis and soon before his death. This bleak vision of the world divided into three oppressive nations stirred up controversy among reviewers who found this fictional future too despairing. In the novel, Orwell gave readers a glimpse into what would happen if the government controlled every detail of a person's life down to their own private thoughts. Well, George, Down and Out in Paris and London for me is a book that has inspired me with my writing and this is dedicated to you.
Dear George Orwell. It's Celine Salon. <laughs> knickers, knackers, knackers. And now I'd like to welcome onto the show Jenny Bellstar. Hello, Jenny. Hello, Celine. What a lovely surprise to bump into you the other night and quite an unusual <laughs> scenario, to say the oh, least. I was really shocked. I walked in the door. <laughs> when my friend said Celine, I was thinking, she said, you know her? I was like, I don't know any Celines. You walked in the door, I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm so pleased it's you. Oh. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, we were very lucky to have you as a fantastic performer at the Celine Salon a few months ago. Thank you. And um, that kind of leads me into you telling us about your book, mm -hmm. um, Surviving the Storm, which you... You did a piece from that book, didn't you? I did you? a piece from that book. Yeah, it was, in fact, it's the only, there's two poems in the book, and one is one is from the girl I mentor, mm -hmm. and or, or I yeah, I actually still mentor her. What am I talking about? And then the other one is my one, which leads into um, something else. With uh, the extension of that book would be after the book. What do you do? What do you do when you've written a book? What do you do after the book? <laughs> well, you just you, 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 there's always an extension of it. Yes. And so because it's about it's a self-help book, the extension of that would be um uh, show and grow. So that poem is about show, you know, showing people how to grow through adversity and um it's a four-minute poem. So would you like to go a bit more into depth about the book as a self-help book and it's about a person that has a troubled life and um and has found different ways in order to be able to survive like coping and, tools yeah coping tools and you know um gone through the experience of come out the other side and has become an authority on survival basically yeah hence the reason surviving the storm you know that person being me of course so, so yes so I, i'm able to talk about it quite candidly and um, for you is that also a great thing to actually get it onto paper and um yeah, just it's also also my uh, healing for you to actually have it on paper and one hundred percent. If yeah. you look at all the other people that are uh, in the in the information um, business, because that's what it is in the end, it, it, in a way. But um, you don't realise that when you're doing it, because all you want to do is you know take whatever's inside you and and put it on the paper. When you put it on a paper, it all automatically has a whole different f vibe to it. It's no longer inside you. It's almost like you, and yeah. you sit and, and, and you look at it, and then you're looking at it as a third person, and it's no longer a part of you anymore. It is, but it isn't, if you know what I mean. And so what you've done is, it's almost like you've kind of got all this dark energy out of you, added it on the paper, and then your intuition, because I work very closely with my intuition, tells you what you can do with that wonderful gift that you've been given. Because I see my life as a gift. I don't no longer I'm no longer bitter about it. And I see it as a gift to be able to share with other people so as anybody that have gone through a similar circumstance could raise their vibration um, you know, by possibly reading the book and um, you know, looking towards the exercises within the book. There's an exercise on each category. And each category is only two pages, so it makes it really easy for them to read. So it's something you could put in your pocket, put it yeah, on the train. I've, I've had grown men coming up to me crying. I've had one guy in the gym, I didn't even know him, I, I, he bought the book online, and um, he saw me in the gym, he was making a beeline for me, and I was just like, oh... Is it, hello and I was looking around me. Oh, he said, oh it's me he's making a beeline for he comes running up to me he said I said, I've just got to do this please can I have a hug so I said yeah sure so and I had all these people around me I'm thinking damn okay this is, so I said can I, can I ask you what the hug's for he says he says I've read your book he said and he said you didn't know this about me he says but I, I he says I suffer from deep depression he said and I'm going to be reading your book again because 
there are things in that book that are helping me so much. And he has since, he has since come up. Um, um, he actually donated money to the charity that I work for and um, work with. And, and he, he says he is the happiest he has been in his whole life. Now, I, I, you know, I said, I cannot attribute that, that to the book. And he said, but you should. He said, because that, since reading your book, he says, it's all fallen into place. Now, if you can do that, Celine. Well, I can't won, wait to read the you've book. Won, you've won. I, I can go, I can die tomorrow and go, yeah. I'm so excited. I've got a credit there. <laughs> just so we know, people can get that on Amazon. Which is great. Yeah, Surviving the Storm by Surviving, Jenny Mathias. Yeah, just so, yep. Yeah, Surviving the Storm by Jenny Mathias. Okay. It's on Amazon and it's got five star reviews. Yay! Yeah. And, you know, we're all going through sort of the uh, the COVID experience, but you, you you know, we'll go on to that a bit later. Um, and I think you're bearing up really well. You've turned up in the studio like a poppy flower, all bright and cheerful. And there's me with. Well, she's still, still, still got me pajamas on. Yeah, well, still looking glamorous, though. <laughs> she's, yeah. Um, can you tell me a bit about the charity you work for? Because I know you're going from here onto there today. To... Well, b before all this lockdown, I mean, I did actually work for the charity many years ago. And then I went back into the music because the music was calling me. Um, and I did, I was meant to work for the charity for five weeks. Six years later, Sydney. I was still in the charity and so I'd help them raise funds and I ran the charity shop and I did all those kind of things but then like I said the music took me but since the Covid thing I thought my friend's gonna need a little help here you know and the charity is called Food for All and they are a, a charity that feeds um, any, anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 people every single day unfunded unfunded that's amazing and uh, and when I say unfunded I mean we get donations from people that actually love the work that we do I mean you know if you know at the moment I'm running the hub but when the Covid thing happened it was silent out there you can see it was like ghost town uh -huh. and a, a friend of mine I called a friend of mine up um, funny enough, he's the lead singer of a band called um, The Vibrators, and he's uh, he's got this charity shop in Parkway. And I said to him, "Knox, I need your shop." And he's like, "Yes." He said, "Okay, you can pick up the keys, but can I ask you what you want the shop for?" I said, "I want to run a hub where we can feed the most vulnerable people that are not getting any food at this time because there's nobody around. All the charities collapsed, but ours, mm -hmm. apart from ours, and a couple more, and." Um, and he said, yeah, sure, pick them up. He says, the keys, you know, pick them up or, or I'll bring them round. So, and, and so we had that for 10 weeks and that's what we're doing at the moment. And now they've opened their shop. We're now at the People's Theatre. So we're doing something, we're working symbiotically with them because they, obviously, as a theatre, yeah. aren't open anymore. So so they it's want perfect this, space, yeah. the perfect space. It's incredible. Um, I'm getting loads of donated food. Yeah. I, I had half a van load yesterday. It's just, you know, I couldn't... It, it's such a vibe. And we do it for three hours in a day. And it's yeah. just a wonderful thing to do. It's marvellous. And it's all free. Wow, thank God we've got people like you and your charity. <laughs> and my yeah, team. We, yeah, we team had is one, fantastic. Yeah, we've had Under One Sky. They have people roaming around Soho yeah, yeah. Like, twice or three times a day. Mm -hmm. And again, you know... I keep getting the volunteer, and I really would like to volunteer in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back, to, going back to. Um, oh, sorry. Can if people want to make a donation to your charity, can they? They can just if they go to um, food for all. Food for all. Yeah, food for all UK. I think it's um, at gmail com. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going back to COVID, and you know, as a creative lady, <laughs> what have you been? You know, how have you have you been being creative? What's 
what's been going on? You sort of well for me, for me the, the, there was the no question about not being creative because you know if you're a poet and you're a songwriter and um, you know I'm also an author now so and I have the other book coming out which is when I say it's coming out it's coming on sorry um, and that's called From Birth to Bell Star so that uh, all those things meant that I could now have the COVID meant that I could now have the time to um, relax into these things I also put events on mm-hmm. for, for the show and grow thing which is which, that was a shame because the, all those things had stopped and all my work had stopped and all that all those massive gigs that we were supposed to have this year had stopped so what do you do well you go back inside yourself and you just like um um and you just collect your thoughts and then and, and then you just go well this might be a bit of a blessing but one of the things I've done is that I've kept in touch with people online and I met a stranger online who um, whose politics I liked and he likes mine and we, we share each other's, you know, sh- share each other's posts. And then one day he said to me, um, Jenny says to me, you know, I feel as I'm going under, you know, and he was a bit down and depressed. And, um, and I said, I understand. I said, you know, yeah, but you can back off here for a while. And... He's, he, that's what he said he was going to do. I said, but before you go, I said, what, what other things do you do? And he said, well, I play, I play keyboards. I said, you play keyboards? I said, why don't you send me a, a, a backing track, four minutes? I said, if I like it, I'll send you a, send it back with the you know, vocals and lyrics on. He sent me a track and I liked it. Sent it back. He was absolutely Ah, can I send you another one? Uh, six tracks later. <laughs> well, that lost his depression, didn't it? <laughs> one way to sneakily get somebody out of their depression. Yeah. He is now just texting me this morning. The thing that he wrote on, um, we've we then we then then that he also does video, which I didn't know, and so that that encouraged him to like start looking for images and everything else so he chose some Im- images and I chose some images from friends of mine that don't that are new new with photography but don't have the confidence to put it anywhere so I thought right I'm going to choose their stuff because it's actually good content mm-hmm. and you know the song is called New Day and the, and, 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 the, and the whole ethos about New Day is to raise the vibration of the human race it's about um, it's about how I see the human race in the future with with, with in peace and harmony yeah and love and everybody loving each other and everybody loving the animals and you know and that might sound twee but you know what (laughs) what what, what are we living in right now so if I was going to do anything I'd go there not there you know I'd go I'd go light not dark Mm -hmm. and so it's all about light and it's all about love and it's all about you know raising the raising the human spirit well, Jenny, I want to say thank you so much for coming on to Celine's Salon show today. What a marvellous woman you are for people. You're, you're just like, you are a golden butterfly. Thank you. That's all I can say. Thank you. It's made me and, cry. Yeah, <laughs> but it's with sincerity. And I'd love to get you back on the show when you finished your book. Thank and you. And hopefully when Celine's Salon comes as our guest oh, I'm doing. I'm doing that. I'm doing that um, for sure. <laughs> would you like to introduce the song to our audiences? Yes. Okay. You are listening to a brand new song. It's actually a demo version, but it's a very good demo version. And you are the first to hear it on air on Celine's um, show. And it's called New Day.
Bienvenue au salon de Céline. Oh no, it's the end of the show. But we'll be back in August. Um, we've had a marvellous show today. I want to say a very big thank you to the beautiful Rachel Darcy, the talented Douglas Graham Wilson, the enchanting Momo Blackford, and the delightful Jenny Bellstar. And thank you to Gary Psalter, our producer. And it's a goodbye from me, Celine, your host. And go out and enjoy Soho today with a good spring in your step. And catch us again, as I said, in August. I'm going to close the show with one of my favourite, favourite tracks from Diggable Planets. And the song is called Cool Like That, Rebirth of Slick. Celine Salon. <laughs>